Hey everyone, it is Sean and Dave here from Saturday Morning Cartoons. We want to thank the following people for going to patreon.com slash Saturday Morning Cartoons and supporting our show. So a huge thank you to Derek Haynes. Dr. Jason Woods. Jamal Newman. Melanie Harker. Allison Keene. The one and only Sean Paul Ellis. And the amazing Dave Trumbor. Oh, thank you so much. Now, it might sound kind of weird that we are thanking some familiar people and ourselves in this list, but we want to let you listeners out there know that we are not just asking you to support us through Patreon. We are actually putting our hard-earned dollars uh, into the show as well. So we just want to say thank you to those who have supported. And for anyone who can't but would like to help that, help out the show in some way, feel free to share our Patreon page within your social media circles. It would really help a lot. So thank you, guys. We appreciate you going to patreon.com slash Cartoons to sponsor and support our podcast. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Saturday Morning Cartoons, the weekly podcast that revisits, reviews, and ridicules some of the world's weirdest animated series. Coming to you from the Galactic Ley Line, I'll be your co-captain, Dave Trumbor. Joining me as always, my Kataro Kataro co-captain, Sean Paul Ellis. How's it going, buddy? Uh, David, 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 I'm doing well, buddy. How about yourself? You're looking real, real good, but like real strange right now. There's something about you that's different and I can't quite put my finger on it. How are you, how you uh, feeling today? I'm feeling pretty good. You know, the thing that is maybe that you can tell that's a little bit different about me. You feeling like is frisky, that, maybe? I don't know what's. I don't know what the deal is. Well, I, I've joined. Uh, I'm a K pirate now. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Okay, when did yeah, that happen? Yeah, uh, it happened pretty recently. Um, I would hope but, since like last week. Yeah, since okay. like oh, okay. the last seven days. Cool, cool. Um, so the cool thing about being uh, a K pirate mm-hmm. is that I can summon really cool things yeah. when I need to. So. All I gotta do is just hold my hands slightly and just say "Padawasanfa, Padawasanfa, Padawasanfa," and yeah, I yeah. can. And I have managed to summon onto the show our guest this week, pop culture artist and painter Charlie Visconage. Welcome back, Charlie. What's up? He gets the applause. Woo-hoo. We're working on finding a MIDI file for that, but in the meantime, <laughs> it's good to be back. Welcome back, sir. Thanks. Why? Uh, why are you here tonight? What are we? What are we talking about? What's going on? We're talking about Outlaw Star. Um, easily my favorite uh, anime series of all time. Wow, ever. Uh, ever, yeah. Um, you know, I have a lot of love in my heart for, I know you guys have talked about Gundam. Yeah, um, yeah. But I would acknowledge there's not a lot of quality in Gundam. Ow. It's just that. <laughs> oh, cut to the quick, Charlie. Well, oh my God, from left field, I did not see that I, coming. I still love it, but it's more of like oh. a nostalgia love than a quality love. I'm sorry. You, know, you think about like an ex-girlfriend. I'm going to let Charlie keep talking, but I need to recover uh, for a minute. because that was that Keep was going, yeah. Charlie. I mean, listen, you know, you've got, Sean and I were talking about a little bit earlier this week over Chat, but it is very telenovela-ish, especially... The original series and Zeta Gundam, which I know you guys had in your uh, March Madness bracket. Zeta was um, rough. Zeta was bad. Yeah. Camille Beaton. Um, <laughs> yeah. Camille. <laughs> Why'd you say little... that name? If only Camille was the name of both Batman and Superman's mom, that would have been interesting. <laughs> yeah. Wait, Camille? <laughs> and then the Titans just, they back off completely. Um, but no, I think... <laughs> <laughs> to me, Outlaw Star endures because I can still watch it as an adult man. And I think that the storytelling is very well done. The characters are something you can identify with. And uh, the action sequences are still super fun uh, to me. And it explores a lot of different 
things. You know, you've got sort of a cyberpunk aspect. You've got what does it mean to be human? You've got space exploration. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of big old boobs uh, on teen oil frames. Yeah. Dot com. Um, Definitely go check that out. That's an affiliate site of Saturday Morning Um, Cartoons. They are a sponsor this week. Yeah. (laughs) Throwing us a couple bones for the production. We appreciate Um, it. But, um, and kind of a treasure hunt as the main yeah. through line. Which is interesting because we talked about another like actual treasure hunting show just last week. Uh, and there, there definitely are some similarities to another show out there called One Piece, which some of the, you know, some of the comments and reviews have, have drawn those comparisons or similarities. Not in a bad way, just saying like, if you liked one of these shows, you should check out the other one. Because one's essentially yeah. just like, you know, a, a pirate themed treasure hunt. And this one's sort of a space based pirate themed treasure hunt. Same kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. So how did you how did you come to watch Outlaw Star? Like what's your experience with it? And then I want to hear the same kind of from Sean too. Yeah, so I'm trying to think where it would have been. Two thousand one, I would guess it was a freshman in high school mm-hmm. and you know, sort of my You young you young child, you sweet young, summer child. You young, <laughs> sweet baby child, gumdrop <laughs> angel. Um yeah, it was a real roly poly angel at this time if we turn the clock back. Um but, you know, Toonami was kind of a staple of my come home yeah. routine from high school. And um, I think I must have, I'm just trying to remember, I think I, I caught Outlaw Star initially in the middle of the episodes, you know, watched it to the end. And then Toonami, wonderfully, they just started right over the next day yeah, or yeah. whatever. Um, and yeah, I was totally enthralled with it um, from the beginning. And I just thought this sort of like, Grappler ship thing was super cool. Yeah. You know, I think the brash hothead Gene Starwind was amazing. Um, and I just wanted to like consume it all. And, um, you know, this was a time where we had like sort of a nerdy store in our local mall mm. in Columbia, Maryland. It wasn't a branded store or anything, but they had, you know, anime DVDs and stuff like that. And I don't know if you guys remember the time or if you bought anime DVDs at the time, but they were a total racket. You know, you'd buy like, oh, Gundam Wing. It would be like four episodes yeah, on a, a damn DVD. Yeah. And there were 60 episodes of that show. Yeah. yeah. Whereas Outlaw Star, somehow, I, I don't know what happened with the licensing, but there's nine episodes over three DVDs. They're the same price. You're like, oh, sweet. Well, I mean, I'm a poor high school student. What are you going to pick? Yeah. Um, and a real great bang for your buck there as well. So really, you got into Outlaw Star because of finances. Yeah. Correct. This is the most economically <laughs> viable anime available. <laughs> I love well, that. Well, you know, a common theme throughout the entirety of the show is their money problems. So yeah. it's something very relatable. God. <laughs> so, Sean, how about you? How did you, how did you come to watch this? Was it another Toonami thing? Because that's what it was for me, basically. Yeah, that's what it was for me as yeah. well. As I, I got into this uh, through Toonami, um, and then it, this was uh, this was kind of on Toonami at the same time that I want to say a lot of this show's contemporaries um, that we can talk about kind of draw some parallels to them. Yep. Um, in addition to sort of One Piece, which you know had kind of I think had begun to air earlier. Yeah, it, I think uh, it preceded it by a year or two. Yeah, um, and so the, it just it felt like uh, it felt like that crop of shows that kind of came out of that time. Uh, had some really interesting uh, commonalities between them in, in terms of art styles and stories. Yeah. And so uh, kind of what we were mentioning earlier, Dave, you know, is that if you liked one, it was really easy to pivot into something else and just really get wrapped up and enthralled. But they were so distinct yeah. that nothing felt like it was just sort of like a copy paste on top of one another. Yeah, they had a really good programming block at the time. Yeah. Um, 
I really enjoyed it. Yeah, one of the cool things that like kind of came at the same time as like, you know, One Piece, Cowboy Bebop is definitely an, uh, the yes. one that we've talked yep. about on the show that you could draw like direct comparisons to. Cowboy Bebop actually, um, at least in Japan, aired after Outlaw Star, but then they were programmed at the same time. Right. So initially, if I recall correctly, this could be totally wrong. But I think you're right. I think it was like Outlaw Star was on during the day on Toonami and then Cowboy Bebop was the like one of the first Adult Swim anime block shows. Okay. So it was, you know, for adults. That's actually, that's a great jump into our, our history. So Sean's going to give us a little bit of the background on Outlaw Star, and it'll, it'll clear up some of the timing as well. Yeah. Sure. So Outlaw Star is a manga series written and illustrated by Takahiko Ito and his affiliated Morningstar Studio. Sunrise Studios produced 26-episode anime adaptation, including an English version from Bandai Entertainment that received an edited airing on Cartoon Network's Toonami in early 2001, and later on on Adult Swim in early 2002. Preliminary plans were made to create a direct sequel in the form of a single-episode OVA called Sword of Wind, but production never began. Guys, it's a real bummer. It's a real yeah, bummer. It's so unfortunate, because what I was going to say before is that, you know, Cowboy Bebop ran for 26 episodes. Done. Outlaw Star ran for 26 episodes. Done. One Piece is currently on like 785 episodes or whatever they're doing. So, and that, that's great. It's not to say that like one show is better than the other. It's just that we were left kind of, both of these shows that ended at one season wrapped up their story. At, at least for Outlaw Star, we can argue there was a lot more they could have explored, I think. But we can most we can definitely, yeah. and I think you know once we get to it, they do kind of leave it very open yeah. for more storytelling, right? Um, and there was actually a spinoff. Did you guys ever watch Angel Links? I did not. The, uh, no, it sucks. Yeah, <laughs> that's the problem with those it's, things. Well, it's just like it's. Let's talk about the more law-abiding soldiers in this universe. No thanks. It's like mm, that's a, that's good. a whole other show. <laughs> like that's a completely different. That makes zero sense to me. It's like a whole yeah. other show. But speaking of, if you guys want to know what Outlaw Star is actually about, here's the synopsis. So the series takes place in the Toward Stars era universe, in which spacecraft are capable of traveling faster than the speed of light. The plot follows protagonist Gene Starwind and his motley crew of an inherited ship dubbed the Outlaw Star as they search for a legendary outer space treasure trove called the Galactic Ley Line. That's pretty much all you need to know. It's essentially a bunch of outlaws in a stolen ship who are seeking a giant galactic treasure and we are going to talk about the finale tonight and and a little bit of the episodes that kind of lead into it because there's a lot that happens in the last three oh, episodes of this oh thing. boy yeah, some heavy so heavy much stuff. that like jumping into this thing after not seeing it for 15 years is just kind of like hold on just like pump the brakes because i need to like reorient myself with what the hell is going on in this show there's a lot they throw at you but to start the discussion tonight, we're going to start, like we usually do, with a theme song. So, Charlie, since you're our special guest tonight and you have an affinity for this show, what was it about the Outlaw Stars theme song that kind of speaks to you? <laughs> well, I actually find, I mean, I love a lot of the music in the show. I think that the theme song is among the sillier mm. parts of it, actually. <laughs> because it's, and, you know, with the images, it's sort of a montage of the crew doing different stuff that you don't see happen any other time yep. in the show. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like Aisha lifting weights. Yeah. Jim and Gene like running around like goofs. Um, I mean, it kind of pumps you up because it's the like, Simonaye, Simonaye. But, you know, it feels kind of incongruous to a lot of the other sound effects or soundscapes that are in the rest of the show. Um, so 
I, I know it well, and I could pick it out of, you know, if I heard the first few bars. But I don't, as much as I have a lot of love for the show, I think that's a goofier aspect to it for sure. Fair enough. What about you, Sean? I, I want to say that this theme song actually had a problem in terms of tone. So uh, kind of what we've talked about with these theme songs before is that this was dedicated animation that was only used for the theme song. Right. Um, which was really interesting because it starts off like with sort of these kind of like quick snapshot photos of Jim and Jean kind of like hanging out a little bit. Like uh, it seems like they're kind of like either ready to go to bed or they've crashed out or they've been partying or something like that. But it, it's, it's very blue in terms of the, the tone and the color palette that's used. And so it, it very quickly has like a, a noir feel to it. And then, and that's sort of at the beginning when the, you were saying like, the, the, the lyrics and sort of the song itself, the, the rhythm of the song, are really kind of pumping you up. And then it just sort of has a more childish tone then. Like, like yeah, it's it has silly. A, it has a very distinct departure, but then it sort of comes back to that noir tone at the end where it's showing some of our villains in sort of like a very quick montage. And you know how I know that they're villains? dark colors and their backs are turned to us right <laughs> <laughs> like hallmark villain right there and so they they go through this sort of that whole process but then it sort of has a noir feel gets very childish quick noir cut to um and i want to say really the only thing that sort of got me hyped up about this was really that like as you were saying like semana yes yeah. <laughs> and after that i was like i couldn't i could really not listen to this theme yeah song. it's pretty annoying i mean i listened to it now four times mm-hmm. today just to sort of try to get it into my head <laughs> and that semana yes and that's the only part that stuck the funny Everything thing else, is i was looking for like to see if because this is the japanese intro i was looking to see right. if we like bastardized it in the american version and there was not that i could find an american yeah. so, version as i recall i think when the episode started in the u.s it would just be the like dun 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 and show the title card and then oh, just that was it whip to it yeah i don't think that they had either oh, the really? beginning or ending song as i recall huh. that would kind of make because that was part yeah. of the editing for Tudami, I think. Okay. Yeah, because I had to tighten everything up a little bit. That would make sense. But since yeah. I was looking for like additional versions of it, I clicked on like every link that said it had like a different title. So I heard <laughs> them on now, yeah, about 50,000 times. But honestly, I was fine with it. Like I actually really like this theme song. It's got a good energy to it. It's catchy. Yes, it is kind of like a pop rock song that's written or maybe wasn't written for this show, but they got just kind of take it and slap it onto this show. So yeah, there's a little bit of incongruency there with the, the tone and the theme. But I thought it was fine for an intro song. And then I liked the visuals of doing the, it's almost like scrapbook, like candid shots of the, the crew doing different things. I thought that was kind yeah. of fun. It like showed their personality. It uh, introduced you to the characters who you'd get to see. Like it's one thing to see it at the end of the series, knowing like what's about to happen. It's another thing to see it up front where it's like, oh, this is a cool introduction to these different characters. I don't know who they are. I don't know what's going on yet, but it's, it's cool to see them. And I loved the like hero shots of not only Gene, but his freaking caster gun. Cause that's one of my favorite things from yes. the show. Oh yeah. So the fact yes. that it's like, so sweet, it's so cool. And such a cool, like part of the mythology that and the grappler ship uh, are two of the yeah. coolest the things. XGP. I think, yeah. XGP is so fucking rad. So cool. this. We'll, totally... we'll talk about that. Yeah. When we get to like animation style and stuff, but I love that they just had like a one shot of like a highly detailed caster gun, just laying out on the table with the caster shells. And they just like slowly panned across it as this like raucous song is happening in the background. For me, it worked. I thought it was pretty cool. And it was a nice, uh, a nice amp up intro, even if it didn't quite gel with the rest of the, the series. 
Agreed. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I thought because you were, you were it looked like you were waiting to say something. I thought you had that. Uh, no, you, you made me profound. you made me think about the the whole caster thing, and I, I just I got lost in just the the entire idea and how much I love that component of that sh- this show. That and the whole weird magic portion of this with the K-pop. Oh my god, there's so much going on that they just like smash together with like technology and magic and space based, you know, space faring stuff and sci-fi meets fantasy and all kinds of bonkers stuff. Let me let me ask Charlie since he's super fan over there. Just talking about the caster gun. What's going on with the shells? Because it's not like they increase in power from like 1 to 13 or 13 to 1. He yeah, doesn't so, use all of them. They're like right. <laughs> so I think it's supposed to be like compressed magic. Okay. In each shell. In a, in a, in a um, because I think in the in the first or second episode. So when they first activate Melfina, you know who we'll get to. He's starting to hold off uh, one of the members of Hazanko's gang, um, and I, I believe that they kind of allude to it being some sort of like magic compressed in the shell and that there's just a bunch of them sort of scattered around. Um, But yeah, I think it's a really cool element as well. Just a completely unique kind of weapon where it'll just do something different. I mean, it's really a great construction for the animators and people who did the story just to have a gun that does something different all the time. And Gene cycles through plenty of different weapons in the (laughs) show, but none that are quite as memorable. And you know, there are a couple of characters who also have, slightly different casters for themselves as well. So from my understanding and from reading a little bit more today about the caster gun, um, the idea is that uh, sort of how the K-Pirates use Tau magic. And when you're using that Tau magic, it requires like a part of you and like your mana, like your life force and your essence uh, in order to summon and use that magic, that Tau magic. Right. And it's the same principle with the caster gun. That bullet then is using part of your mana, your life force, in order to to create that spell through yeah. a bullet, through a bullet spell. It's essentially like like a way for a gunslinger to go up against magic wielding opponents and be able to get right. through their right. armor yeah. and their protections. Yeah. So I thought it was a really cool thing. It just always frustrated me that it was like an incomplete mythology by design because it was sort of like an ancient weapon. It wasn't a complete, you know, there wasn't just like a, you couldn't go to, you know, uh, an ammunition store and just pick up like a set of casters. Like they were things you either came across or you didn't. And that was it. And right. Yeah. It was sort of a luck of the draw kind of thing. So I I liked it, but I was frustrated by it at the same time because I was just (laughs) like, fuck, I want to go back to the time. And like everybody had casters and they were all over the place. Right. Well, I think they do a good job of creating this very well-worn universe where, you know, they just kind of, they'll drop this stuff and kind of expect you to follow along. Uh, which can be both frustrating, but is cool because they're not spending, you know, hours upon hours with complex origins of every single thing. Right. Right. Yeah. Now, speaking of that, it's a good way to go into sort of the animation style of Outlaw Star because it definitely has an, an interesting look to it that reflects sort of on its tone, on the story and on the, the world and the universe itself. So, Charlie, what is it about uh, the animation style that you either like or dislike? I really enjoy kind of how fluid it is. You know, I think that they... You know, these are characters who we're all led to believe are like incredibly athletic, yeah. <laughs> like amazing, amazing <laughs> hand to hand and gunfighters. Um, and if you guys notice, even in the last three, it appears that the animation style changes ever so slightly. I think that their animators kind of swap in and out, mm. and that happens throughout the show. Um, but I really like it. You know, it's an, it's 
similar enough to anime where you'd be like, oh, that's, this is definitely an anime show. Yep. You know, if your mom or dad walked by, they'd be like, yep, yeah, you're watching anime. But, um, you know, especially like sometimes they'll do the thing where their faces like puff into different shapes if they're upset yeah. or like they don't really go to too much on the like sweat drop or the sort of um, like the chibi style. Like yeah, the cute, like the way too cute style. I right? mean, that'll, that'll happen every now and then. But it's more like some very like, you know, people move like a blur because you're dealing with either, you know, mechanically augmented people, magic people wielding magic right. or just someone like Gene who we're to believe is, you know, incredibly like fit. Hyper despite, athletic, yeah. Right. Drinking all the time and <laughs> <laughs> like barely sleeping. <laughs> so Sean, what about you? How did this strike you as um, like what what set it apart? What was different? Could you pick these guys out of a lineup just based on the so, animation style? Yeah. So I, I think one of the things that I mentioned earlier was that uh, the contemporaries for this show mm-hmm. That I always think of as Cowboy Bebop um, and Trigun, mm-hmm. yeah. That were during that time. I think the thing that definitely set this uh, apart and made it distinct were some of the uh, were some of the mythos that's behind it, um, but also some of the character design, which is yet again, as you mentioned, Charlie, very anime familiar, like Asia Clan Clan, yep. um, right. Like that seemed kind of like a that wasn't something that I've I've seen it in another anime, but it had never been incorporated. It felt distinct and unique when incorporated into this universe. Like when we had some of these other tertiary characters, they always felt uh, they always felt rich. Like they had had like we had mentioned, like they backfilled a lot of this stuff. Like we have a uh, Hot Ice Hilda, you know, uh, and it was something where like. You only get her for a very short period of time, but it, it felt like there was such a, a, a rich and interesting story behind this stuff. And that's what this whole thing felt like, is that they, they wanted to give you enough to tease you, but they didn't need to give you all the information, which right. is, I think, why we're, we're sitting here and years, like almost like more than a decade later, and we're saying to ourselves, like, this was really enjoyable to watch because of this. Now, I say that fully understanding that uh, with like other shows that we had like Trigun and Cowboy Bebop mm-hmm. at the time when they were done, like they were done. Yeah, right. Like there were that was that was an end game story <laughs> yeah. that was there. Like there was a it hit it hit a terminal point uh, of no return. And so with this, I think the thing that was so exciting about it was that I literally thought that like on Toonami or Adult Swim in like a year or two there was gonna be another season that came right. out. Like with Vash the Stampede and with with Spike and the rest of his crew, uh, I was like, "There's, there's no, there isn't really more of a story to tell." Right. You know, which is with funny because they tried like, to force that in the movie anyway. But uh, that's for another. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I know. Um, but it, it was definitely one of those things where, uh, like, this left me wanting more. And I think that sometimes that's. But at the same time, it told a complete story within those twenty six episodes. And you know, the the thing that I, I guess I'm always I always kind of harp on because I think that it can either be to their detriment or it can be a real positive is, you know, can you, can you give me a story in 26 episodes? Yeah. You know, uh, you know, or do I need to then extend it into another season of, of 26 episodes or does it become a one piece or a Naruto where, or Dragon Ball Z where I'm watching forever. 
Yeah, you know? and oh god, going back and watching some Dragon Ball Z episodes as an adult, you're like, I waited for this shit. Like, <laughs> no, dude, Goku's I still, just... I still love going back and watching the first time he goes Super uh, Saiyan. It still like gives I mean, me chills. I mean, listen, watch that I enjoy it. Yeah. I enjoy the show a lot. But, but waiting the first like episodes. the waiting like eight weeks of him just powering up the entire time, yeah, that was a little yeah. rough. Now, I found a perfect compromise, and I, on YouTube, just watched Dragon Ball Z abridged, yep. um, which is phenomenal, <laughs> uh, and hits all the joke high points that I want to. Oh, for there that. you go. Uh, and instead of having, like, 200 episodes, it goes through most of the show within, like, 50, 10-minute episodes. Which is really all you need, to be honest. Yeah. Which I'm is actually, I'm enjoying need. Dragon Ball Super because they are getting back into, like, a tournament fighting kind of thing, and that's fun. Okay. But back to uh, Outlaw Star, since we are talking animation and style. Well, yeah. What did you feel, Dave? Uh, so just specifically on the animation and the, the style of the, the look of the thing, I, you know, they were just kind of broadly drawn anime characters, but at the same time, they were very, like, they had very specific details to them that you could draw them out of a lineup. Go ahead. I was going to say, can you tell me anything about these characters' necks? Very. These characters look like they had the longest necks. Very small. <laughs> very small, but long necks. Giraffe people. The they are kind of all longest like, yeah, necks. very like drawn out and very long. Sinew. Almost sort of like, like Eon Flux has that weird kind of um, body exaggerated, dysmorphia. Yeah, body dysmorphia where it's just like, <laughs> they, they don't look right. Like they look like they need to go to a doctor. But well, I, I think yeah. you either have that or you have the characters that are just like, oh, anyone just like a who's oval. like, overweight yeah. in their universe is just like a lump with no neck so it's funny it's like you either spend all your time in like no gravity so your body just stretches out to weird proportions or you spend your time in like super artificial gravity so you just get compressed to like a little blob <laughs> it's the only two just just a little compressed nugget of space dust just a, a space nugget space nugget or you get to be like Hazanko, who's just like this towering pillar of something. Well, he's got he some is. major shoulder armor slash he's got shoulder some pads. Oh, going we on. gotta talk about him in a Yo, minute because he just looks like a Taoist nightmare. Like I don't know what what the deal was with the design of him. He must have straight up stolen like the shoulder pads from Paula Poundstone when she was doing stand up <laughs> in the eighties because those things are fucking rigid. They'll, they would cut you. That is yeah, a that is a deep cut, by the way. That is a deep cut. Uh, but yeah, so as far as, as, far as, like, as far as the animation style of Outlaw Star, I really loved, one thing that I thought separated it from the other shows is its use of shadow and light. So a lot of these shows, when you watch them, they're just kind of like, Trigun is pretty, they're pretty just like all light all the time. Like everybody's very well lit because a lot of time they're out in the sun and whatever. Right. This, like you could just see in their face, like if they were in an interior you wouldn't see all of them. A lot of them was in shadow or the different facial expressions. Um, you either could see like the tension, the conflict in a situation. You could see it on their face because they were like in heavier shadow or to Sean's point, you could see like a hero versus a villain, depending on who was more like who had like the <laughs> yeah. widow's peak or who had like the, the more shadowy face or, or just existed literally true. in shadow. Yeah. Or, or the bowl cut who had the bowl cut. Oh yeah. Coin con who did have the, Oh That's yeah. Like, the professor. Professor Gwen Khan. Gwen Khan. Yeah. What is your name? What is your name? <laughs> we'll get to them in a second. But beyond just the so the use of shadow and light, I really loved. I liked the design of the characters. I thought they were obviously very um, kind of iconic just to this show, even if it wasn't an iconic style itself, if that makes sense. But I really yeah. loved the design of the weapons and the ships themselves. And Charlie, you made a point uh. that this was like a very lived in, kind of roughly worn world. And that, that, uh, aspect comes across in the design of both the weapons and the and the ships, which I think is fantastic. Uh, especially the grappler ship. That's a hell of a lot of fun to watch that thing. Oh my action. god, I love it. Yeah. 
So like to explain that to people who maybe haven't seen this show, it kind of looks just like a regular rocket ship who just will occasionally just sprout like these kind of gangly arms uh, that can do anything from like assisting in like docking maneuvers or transporting cargo to literally just like fighting in space like a, like well, I a love giant wrestler. Sometimes like sometimes the weapons are like an axe maybe yeah. or yeah. just a grappling arm or it's just holding a gun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like yeah. okay, we can get a little bit more creative than that. It's like when Megatron transforms and Starscream just holds him cuz now he's just like a giant transformed gun. Right, yeah. yeah. Um but one of the cool things in one of the middle episodes they're going you know again for those who haven't seen it there's this there's a whole like space race mini arc of episodes and they are riding this gravity wave because this planet's about to get consumed by it and they're trying to go the course gene is trying to cut corners and go the fastest route possible and so the grappler arms become these little parachutes to like pull them through and that's super cool okay I mean, I, I feel like I feel like the one thing, and this sort of helps us transition into our next topic. Mm-hmm. I feel like this ship is a character in and of itself yeah, oh, on this definitely. show. Yeah. Um, and this is like an experimental ship called XGT. XGP. XGP. Yeah. Uh, and, and thank you. And so XGP, you know, in, in addition to uh, these gangly uh, like arms that it, these like these awkward like middle school at a dance arms that like (laughs) don't know what they're supposed to be doing they this ship has uncanny maneuverability i mean you see especially like in the this final fight that we're going to talk about you see this thing uh kind of it it seems like it has uh like jets uh, over almost every portion of the ship so it can barrel roll yes. and twist yeah. and or just so like strafe can... to the side like it moves in yeah, ways exactly. that you've never really seen a ship move before yeah and and you you look at this and you think to yourself like i, I again these are all common components that we've seen in other shows but just i love the fact that xgp has like all of these things put together in one package uh and it really has just like a very fun uh, kind of like Siri that's on board with Gilliam. Yeah, Gilliam. Uh, with Gilliam kind of like talking to Gene and the rest of the crew and stuff like that and, and providing sort of that uh, like Tony Stark to, uh, what was the name or of the- Jarvis. Jarvis. Or to Jarvis. Yeah. Uh, to Paul uh, Kind of feel yeah. to, to everything. So yeah, it was it's, great. It's very funny the things that Gilliam does and does not understand. Like he can understand a pretty wide range of like human emotions and then in some of the episodes when they try to, you know, get information, be like, oh, I don't, I don't really understand human emotions. I don't know what you're getting at. Like, but there are a lot of other nuances you seem to understand just fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, Gilliam. And then, you know, the other thing with the ship is that, um, you know, you have another character that interfaces directly with it. Right, in the right. form of Melfina, who's in a smoking hot android. <laughs> Um, Feel free to talk about her. We can get jump into the characters well, here and yeah, start with Melfina. Yeah. So, Let's get into Melfina. You know, in the ship, Ooh, she gets in this tube full of, I don't know, water or some sort of sure, some sort jelly. of bioelectric fluid. Yeah. yeah. Some KY, KY jelly Definitely. filled too. 100%. And, but so she is able to interface with the ship to be the navigational system. And can sort of psychically speak to everyone. But how did we um, find her? Like, did she was she just in the tube when they found the ship, or what, what was going on with her? So in the first in the first episode with Ice Hilda, they steal. She's like in a case. She's in a big case yeah. because Hilda finds the coordinates of the XGP. Also, it's originally painted blue. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> and she knows the location of Melfina because the deal was it was like K pirates and the space forces came together to design the system right. to find the galactic ley line right. and then got stolen from them by the okay. outlaws. Hmm. So yeah, Melfina is literally the the TV trope that has become uh, quote unquote the girl in a box. So yep. if you watched Firefly <laughs> uh, and you saw like River, um, or if you watch what else was there recently? Oh, like Blind Spot. If you watch that on TV, like right. naked Jamie Alexander in a bag in Central Park or whatever. Like mm-hmm. these these things are like it's a very odd and specific trope. But honestly, like Outlaw Star was the first time I ever saw that. So that yeah, was kind of cool true. for me. Oh, I was just like, oh, that's we we even had it uh, late last month, uh, yep. like three weeks ago, yeah, uh, in Code Ge- in Code Geass. I thought it was Gurren Logan, or did they both have it? Uh, no, Code Geass had the, uh, oh, yeah, had the right. terrorist truck. Um, Gurren Logan just had the woman with just a lot of side. Yeah, and yeah that's right. I keep getting distracted by her lack of clothes. <laughs> by Yoko's boobs. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. But no, you're right. Code Code Goose. Yeah, there was a, just like a naked woman in a tank. <laughs> And that's nice. just essentially yep. like, oh, this is a this is a thing we're gonna do now. A naked woman inside of a tank that within a within minute of meeting her takes a bullet to the yep. forehead. Yep, oh, yep, shit. yep. Good job, Code <laughs> Goose. Yep. Um, um, what's interesting though is like this is one of the moments where so Outlaw Star when it came to America was highly edited, and this is one of those things where like I think when we watched it originally, like when Melfina was kind of you know when they popped the case open. It was just like a girl, but she was wearing like a sports bra and like underwear. Yeah, there had been uh, edited on clothing. It was straight, straight, straight just like... painted on. Like it was very obviously and uh, like oh, yeah. edit. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Unfortunately, um... <laughs> she's she's one of many characters that just gets straight up like naked in this show. I mean, there's the very uh... well. There's a there's an entire episode that was actually cut from the original. Oh really? Because uh, I knew the hot springs was like. Yeah, the Hot Springs Planet Tenray that is not a like it has no continuity to the rest of the storyline. It's just to get the girls naked. But it's like the crew needs to kick back and go to a Japanese style onsen and the sexes are divided, so let's just focus on the ladies. (laughs) And it's literally just like one of my favorite things from that though was that like like Aisha is So now now's a good point to talk about Aisha, I guess. So Aisha is uh a creature known as a Kataral Kataral. That's like a species of creatures who are kind of like cat-like. Um, they're super strong. They're super resilient. They're way tougher than humans. They're also like completely crazy. Uh, they're just kind oh, of yeah. like like war-driven. Very emotional. Action. Very emotional. Um, she can actually transform into like a giant like tiger beast-looking thing. Uh, what I loved about the the uh, what do you call it? The spa, the hot springs scene. Not only that, they're just like here's Asia completely naked. But the fact that she was just like, this hot springs water isn't nearly hot enough. And I think she at one point like bathes in like molten lava. Does she not jump into a pool of molten lava to just be like, ah, finally, it feels hot enough now. Let's dial it down, Aisha. All right. We don't need anybody bragging about how hot you can take it. Oh, man. She's fun. She's a fun Um, character. Provides a lot of kind of like the the comedic side of things, but also has like some interesting turns uh, throughout the series as well. And her species seems to have the best collective hive mind out of anything. It, it's yeah. Inc- yeah. like they get like it, they don't it, make great decisions at the end of things, but they don't. <laughs> they do not make great decisions. But I love the fact that when they get excited about something, it's like yeah. it's an unwavering passion yeah. 
for what they're doing like to the end (laughs) oh yeah and that is that i I guess that's really kind of fun to see that kind of like crazy support where it's like a bunch of people just like all cheering and getting pumped (laughs) up and you're just like you're going to your doom right now and they're like we know (laughs) (laughs) that's a lot of fun so that's one of the crew we already talked about melfina who's Honestly, her entire sort of backstory is told throughout the course of this series, and we will touch on it when we get to the plot as well. So, uh, Charlie, who do you want to go to next? Uh, I think we got to talk about Gene, go you know, the sort of main character who is presented as being 20 years old, what? which I think, which I, I, I think should, that should just be adjusted for the sake He's of... He's seen some shit. His life, I know, right? Um, so Gene Starwind is the captain of the ship. He is really the main character who is both a childish misanthrope, but also like an amazing shot. Uh, and a, ho- a hopeless romantic. Hopeless romantic, yep. for sure. He just, you know, just like everybody else, he just wants to be loved. Yeah. Um, he wears sort of a black and with red trim unitard. Until he puts that uh, crazy he- coat on, yeah. Oh yeah, and his like that sweet duster. Yeah, his talk must, about that sweet duster. Mustard yellow duster. That duster looks like it belonged to somebody like three times his size, though. Like everything, yeah, everything yeah. that people wear in this universe, if it's like an overcoat or something, it fits someone twice as it's big. It's basically as they are. a trash bag. Yeah, it was him and Lorenzo Lamas, and they were just like, who gets the cooler duster? Yeah. Um, but Gene also has uh, some tattoos. He's got like some red stars on his shoulders, yep. and then two little like. I don't know. They're like are cat they cuts? Are they marks. scars? Yeah, I thought they were. I scars. think they're supposed to be scars. I thought they were scars. Yeah. Um, but and then so earlier in the series, I mean, this we're sort of crisscrossing with plot. Yeah. But his kind of reason for becoming an outlaw is that he his father is like a miner in space, and they get attacked by some characters we're going to touch on, or they believe they are. That's not really ever confirmed, <laughs> but. His dad, you know, wants him to live. So put, throws Gene in an escape pod, sends him down to whatever nearby planet there is. Yep. And Gene kind of has to figure out his life from age 14 on, give or take. Um, he's done so pretty he, good over the last really six years. He seen some shit. Yeah. yeah. He's done pretty good. I mean, he got his caster gun. He, he met he up with uh, Jim Hawking. It's a good, good start. Well, yeah. I was, and I think that that's the perfect way to say that, like, he's got a really great supportive crew member an 11 year old yeah. <laughs> also astray who, who doesn't though <laughs> but i mean like that that's a fun theme that we get with this is that like they like they are a wayward spaceship for strays oh big time yeah, throughout this entire yeah, show yeah. and like it, it's funny to kind of see how you know these these people who really don't have a family have kind of created a family on this ship yeah. And it's weird because the ship is also kind of alive. So then the ship is part right, of the Gilliam family. Gilliam is definitely part of the family. So it's like, I can't imagine Thanksgiving dinner when you have to set like a seat for an entire ship that's going to like <laughs> well, crash. Well, technically you have all the little Gilliam robots. Oh, that... that's right. Yes. Um, but, so I guess that's a good segue maybe to Jim Hawking, yeah, yeah. who just to give him his due, he's Gene's 11-year-old sidekick. <laughs> they have sort of like a brotherly... Uh, and somewhat father-son relationship. Um, and Jim is a computer whiz. You know, he's a computer, he's an engineer, engineer, a hacker. Um, and his father. I think they do talk about it briefly in one of the like intros. His father was a computer hacker. I guess died somehow. <laughs> sure. Like, um, Otherwise, he's but, like a really shitty dad because he just lets him travel around right, with his random exactly yeah, with a twenty-year-old. But I would say Jim is sort of the moral compass of yeah. the group. 
You know, he's trying to yeah. get Gene to not drink so much or carouse or what have you. Which I was well, kind of bummed because... because, like, in the end, he didn't have that much to do, unfortunately. So I was kind of yeah, bummed. Yeah, in those last few episodes, he's... Uh, he literally crazy. says, like, you know, go back and wait at the ship and come rescue me if, if, you, if I need you. <laughs> Otherwise, just, yeah. like, we're not going to see you for the rest of this plot. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it was hard because at that point, it felt like everybody else had something yeah. that they were doing. Or, uh, like, a conflict... That they were resolving. Yeah, like, I don't know, Twilight it, Suzuka? What was she up to? Yeah, yeah, Twilight Suzuka. So, I mean, uh, but but everybody had something to resolve except for, for Jim. Right. But and So, you, you kind of mentioned Twilight. Dave, you want to tell us about Twilight? So, Twilight is your kind of, your basic ninja assassin who who rolls up with the outlaw pirate ship. I mean, that's pretty standard, who dre- right? Who, who dresses in like, like a kimono. Like a, like a, a, kimono. Like a geisha, uh, but like yep. a deadly ninja assassin geisha named Twilight Suzuka. <laughs> I mean, she looks like, and I think they feature her on a lot of like the DVD cover art and stuff like that, which makes you think it's a completely different show than what it is. Because she yep, looks like she steps out true. of like Rurouni Kenshin or something. Like she looks like she steps out of the Japanese like Meiji period, not 3,500 years in the future or whatever. Um, Even so like she's, an Inuyasha character. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. So she looks like a more traditional kind of traditional Japanese dress, uh, kind of a stereotype ninja assassin character. But she's definitely a good one to have on your side. And I loved her kind of conclusion um, in this entire arc. Uh, I honestly don't remember too much about her from the series itself. I just like that she gets like a moment to herself to kind of conclude her story in this, uh, in this finale. I thought that was pretty cool. Because somebody I mean, like Jim doesn't have to be... do that. So, Yeah, I mean, a kind of interesting thing about Outlaw Star as well with both Suzuka and Asia. I mean, it features some pretty strong women who are not they don't need Gene to rescue right. them. Like Malfina kind of is. She kind of did. Yeah, she totally yeah. is. But both Aisha and Suzuka have their own reasons for being a part of the crew and often will dip out or behave right. selfishly. You know, they, they don't give a shit about and, Jean. And Suzuka and certainly fought, don't. She fought Gene, didn't she? I mean, she lost. Yeah, him, she, but... does. <laughs> she does. She does. Because what? Yeah, like she's it's... only lost like three battles in her life, and one was to Gene. Yeah, and then he sort of almost Homer Simpson's her in that episode where he's like, no big, just like, come on. <laughs> she, she's like, I don't know, I should just like kill myself. <laughs> Is that how he's he like, proposed oh, to Marge? Did they have like a duel to the death? And then when she no, lost, he was just like, like you should probably just marry me. Homerish in that, like, you know, beating someone at their own game, but just being like, eh, whatever, man. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Gotcha. <laughs> Except that, like, is their life, right? Yeah, yeah, the life. point of her being alive. So, th- those are all our heroes there, pretty much. I don't think we missed anybody, anybody major, anyway. No, but what about some of these villains? We got to talk about some of these antagonists so the finale will make sense to listeners out there. Oh man, yeah. let's let's get into. We get the McDougal let's brothers. Talk about these bros, what's up, bros? Uh, more uh, like the McDouche brothers. Oh, nice <laughs> What a weird we have, name, uh, though. Honestly, like McDougal. Like when when some character says like it's Ronald McDougal, I started laughing because I'm like, what a terrible name. They are. It is really silly. I mean, like I wonder if the the original Japanese writers had maybe like been to Ireland or Scotland. Yeah, they're just like, <laughs> oh, McDougal. Yeah, great name. McDougal son. Oh god. But I mean like they they really are uh they, despite having like kind of silly names for <laughs> like for the McDougals Harry but, like, and Ron. Harry and Ron McDougal. Like these guys are pretty hardcore. No, I like them once we actually got to like see their interactions, especially what happens to Harry and his whole thing and then Ron how he kind of reacts to all of it. It was it was pretty touching, uh, especially for only right. having like 
been with them for a couple minutes by this point. Yeah. So I like I think almost now like we we've talked about this like with with all all of these characters like this this show really focuses on and I think again what makes this to go back to your earlier question Dave the thing that makes this show so distinct and unique is it really addresses the idea of identity you know for each one of these characters like that's so important and I think that what's even more important for this and because you see this in a lot of the the protagonists. Like we've seen this in almost every show, like show that we've watched, the protagonist is like, I need to understand my identity. Right. The thing that I think is really interesting about this show is that even the antagonists are going through that exact same apologia and, and trying to figure out exactly what the fuck they're supposed to do, what, what their relationship is. I think we can probably kind of fold these guys, the discussion of these villains into the plot, because they really do all kind of come together in this this final three episodes because you've essentially got like the McDougal brothers who are teamed up with Professor Gwen Khan and they're all trying to head to the Galactic Ley Line. You've also got uh, Hazanko and his K-Pirates on the Geomancer, is that the name of their ship? And the other ship was the Shangri-La. Uh, they're all headed to the Galactic Ley Line and it's, it's those two entities and groups and then Gene Starwin and his outlaw star crew, who all kind of collide at the same time, and they're the ones that end up at the, the final episode. So we can kind of talk about like what each of them wants. It's got like a weird Zelda nod in a way, where like ones are looking for wisdom, some are looking for power, and some are just looking. It's an interesting way that this, this whole thing kind of wraps up. So I'll, I'll turn it over to Charlie real quick to just kind of give us a brief wrap-up of where we've come in the last couple of episodes to get to the beginning of the finale. Yeah, so, I mean, starting with, um, you know, Harry and Ron McDougal. So, I mean, throughout, you know, I think Harry is uh, a, more of a cyborg. Right. He's not a straight-up android. Um, and he is just, like, obsessed right. with Melfina. Whereas Ron is just, like, he is... So Gwen Khan, I guess yeah. to backtrack a little bit, you know, is fully aware of the XGP in Melfina and presents himself kind of as... Um, somebody who is trying to help them and you know oh maybe i can offer you but he knows more than he's letting on and eventually the outlaw star crew you know just right. don't want him around anymore because right. he's creeping he's about. so weird yeah. so then the he decides series. to he's so weird he's he's super yeah. weird I, and i love the voice actor actually on the you know a lot of people hate on the dubbed versions of animes a lot of the time i think the voice acting in this for the english-speaking um folks are yeah. Very well done. Agreed. Especially Gwen Khan, who's just such a creep. Um, <laughs> but so that's why Gwen Khan aligns himself with the McDougal brothers and gives right. them the information about this. So a couple episodes beforehand, Ron McDougal confronts Gene at a restaurant and kind of lets him know that uh, he wants the XGP in Melfina or else he's going to kill them. And Gene says no. And then the sort of B-plot of that episode is Harry trying to break into their little compound to, I guess, take and, I don't know, sexually assault you know, I didn't, I didn't get I that mean, as much because it seems like by the finale, it seemed like he was really just like smitten and literally like in love with her. So I don't, I think he was just like obsessed. Yeah, I mean, Gwen Khan makes passing reference to like, I don't think you guys could yeah. mate or whatever. But yeah, he's just sort of like almost unrequited high school yeah. creeper. Yeah. Um, I, it's hard because I, I think it draws that weird line between love yeah, and obsession. Definitely does. Yeah. And because like you were saying, like he loves her and I like, but he's also obsessed with her. And like, 
the obsession portion, I think, is what's creepy in yeah. terms when of that relationship. he's plugged into the Shangri La as sort of like their navigator, and like they're like, "Can you get us through this thing?" And he's just like, "Oh, Melfina, I will find you." I'm like, "All right, yeah, dude, like you need to tone uh, it." Well, it's a good thing the camera doesn't yeah, just like, pan down in there. <laughs> yeah. So the reason that he's in, so he's not part of the navigation of the Shangri La for most of the series. It's that eventually Gene and Jim come back and fuck him up when he's trying yeah. to break in. Uh, and he's, you know, like in critical This guy is in so. like like varying yeah, stages gets... of death throughout the end of this series here, multiple well, times. And, and even th- throughout, like his robot arm gets shot up at different points. Um, but so the McDougal brothers, but I think kind of as you, as you guys have both brought up, I mean, Ron is more of a yeah. one-dimensional character, but Harry, yeah. you know, kind of undergoes an interesting transformation of obsessed to ends yeah. up kind of helping a little bit um, as his, you know, body deteriorates. And I think that Ron actually has a fun portion of this as well, where you really see how much he cares about his brother. Yeah. Like, where it's just like, you don't, you don't really right, see right. that. Like, these guys are pirates, and, like, they've been together, and, like, you know, and his brother has been, like you said, his brother's, like, as we all said, his brother's been in various stages of decay, you know, for all 26 episodes, you know, but he still loves him and still, like, even right it, to the it, end. It feels yeah, there's like a cool like, moment at the end where they kind of, like, are still, yeah. still brothers. Yeah. yeah. Just, just two brothers. It, it feels yeah. like it, if, if he had the opportunity to be able to kind of, like, put him back together, totally even would. in those final stages, like, he would do that, you know, but, you know, we're we're left at a point where, you know, they're they're still kind of quote unquote together. Yeah. You know, which is still interesting. Like I still it seems but satisfying. What's interesting for me. here is that you see you get to know the character of Professor Gwen Khan the same way. Because once those two kind of have a moment where Ron is having to care for Harry and, and is really like distraught over what has happened to Harry, which since we're talking about plot Essentially, Harry uh, has gone to try to, like, rescue Melfina and to gain access to this galactic ley line, but uh, Hazanko has shown up and just essentially just torn him limb from limb. Like, just totally completely shreds up. this dude. Uh, so he's left bleeding. Yeah. And that was... It, this is a very violent oh. scene. Like, this is unbelievably... <laughs> like, it, it's a brutal scene where, like, all of a sudden, you see Harry just kind of go batshit insane... Oh, he uh, goes all out. Four missiles yeah. out of his he attacks shoulder. like punches and awesome. like, He's got the little like wrist gun arm yeah, that everything. pops out like close to the face. And then and then Hazanko just sort of like yeah, waves his hand, <laughs> and every like every limb and part of Harry's body just yeah. snaps. Doubting, and it is. And yeah. like, regardless of how much or like how much you hate him as an antagonist, it's one of those scenes where you're just like, well, and, and then you have to realize that like when when Harry and Jean, when Harry is like a cyborg in a certain part of this and, and uh, Harry is attacking Jean and Malfina in an early episode, they are like up close at like point blank shooting yeah. rifles and lasers <laughs> and bazookas at each other. Yeah, and nobody's fine. dying. Like nobody's getting <laughs> injured. Nobody's getting a bullet or anything and so like you feel like sort of that the maybe the the gunplay in this is yeah. a little bit comical and then just uh, fucking hazanko is just like you're dead and just and, like and oh, i'm right dead after Trouble. harry has come up tried to save melfina and confessed his love for her so you do feel kind of bad at this point right. he's kind of like the obsessed creeper but then he just literally gets like torn limb from limb but but what's important here <laughs> is that when <laughs> professor khan comes up he's just kind of like well 
Okay, you guys are done. You did your part. So now I need you to I need you to open up this door. Like Harry, is there any is there enough left in your circuitry to get your ass over here and open this right, door? Just... Like he does not care about them at all. He's <laughs> he just would... using them as tools to get to his his final final goal. Right. I think it's arguable that Gwen Khan has like some pretty bad. He's autism. he's like way he's on the spectrum. Like <laughs> like, like <laughs> he's got problems dealing with like social doesn't... anxiety and people in general. Right. He's like, oh, your brother's lying yeah. in a pool of blood. Let's see if we can just get him up. He's got enough juice left in him. But he, he yeah. can open this that's, door, Because right? that's what I need right yeah. now. <laughs> because what I want is behind there. Hey, can your uh, almost dead brother, can he <laughs> combine elements that we've seen in the movie uh, The Matrix and also... <laughs> in, and also like hackers, little yeah. like yeah. knob thing. And Hackers, the movie Hackers <laughs> with Angelina Jolie. And can he like hack the, hack the, the Gibson or this, I'm sorry, the Galactic Ley Line? Like, just kind of get in here for me. Just <laughs> I love that he even comes, comes over and like Gene, like Gene's in there at this point. Listen, like, so the main, the main players for the Galactic Ley Line, right? So... Long story short, Melfina has kind of been kidnapped by this entity that controls the galactic ley line, which we kind of figure out uh, by the end of this thing. And she's kind of being held captive, but she's also kind of the key to the whole thing. So the people vying for the treasure at the end of the line is uh, Professor Gwen Khan, Gene Starwind, and then Hazanko. So it's the three people that are kind of vying for different things. And it's almost like finding a genie, right? Whoever gets the lamp. They will grant your heart's desire, your greatest wish. Uh, it's just one person has to be standing by the end of that to be able to grant that wish, or presumably that's how it's supposed to happen. So Khan wants to get inside this door, and he even tells Gene, he's like, "Hey, don't uh, don't waste your bullets on him. He's pretty much dead anyway. He's DOA. He's just standing <laughs> yeah. because it's oh, all God. that's left in his circuit. So let's see, uh, let's see if maybe he can open the door, and then we'll take care of things from there." I love how shitty this guy is. He's, he's, yeah, he don't, he don't give, he a, don't fuck. give a fuck. He's got like one goal in his mind. He'll do anything. And I don't know how, as like a pencil neck kind of like geek, he's survived this long, never had to really fight. He's just kind of like been in the right place at the right time to like survive this whole thing. And spoiler alert, he survives the end of the whole thing too, somehow. Uh, well, the funny thing, kind of to your point, Dave, is then in the next room, you know, Gene shoots his final. Uh, deadly caster shell it's a, it's and Hazanko. It's a, well, it like, doesn't really wait, work. I, I want to stop you real quick because we, oh no, I guess they're okay. from earlier episodes and we've kind of alluded to them, but like, yeah, each of the different members of the crew gets to square off against different members of the K-Pirates and kind of have their own kind of uh, finale. So Twilight Suzuka gets yeah. to square off against the assassin who killed her entire family and Hitoriga yeah, and gets um, uh, a vengeance there. Uh, Asia Clan Clan just kind of like protects um, Jim, sends him back to the ship, and she's like, "I'm just gonna take on this guy like real quick." Who I don't think they had any connection in the straight yeah. jacket, and just goes like crazy tiger beast, and then ends up naked on the floor, which is the usual thing. And then nice, nice shows for guys. Yes, outlaw bros. <laughs> and then we get to this final room where it's weird because it's it's between Khan. Hazanko and Starwind, and they all seem to each kill each other at different times, but everybody survives at the end. It's a bizarre sequence, but Charlie, to your point, I kind of cut you off there. Oh, yeah. Well, just the so when uh, Gwen and Jean kind of uh, cancel each other out, then you Khan does say, Oh, good. No, I don't yeah, have so, to kill so anyone. So like, <laughs> Jean shoots Hazanko ah! with a caster, sends kind of like this mini black hole that 
uh, encapsulates Azonko temporarily. But then at the same time, that zaps Gene's life force and he collapses to the ground. So then, like you said, Professor Khan is just kind of like, well, you idiots are dead. So now I get my ultimate wish. And then he asks a lot of nerd questions he to really the does. <laughs> um, But, um, yeah. And then, you know, then they sort of enter like a Tron sort of sequence yeah, like, where well, like all three of them are alive at this point. Alive right? and dead. Yeah. Right. It's into like this weird spacey kind of head trippy like spectral otherworldly thing where it's like the essence of the three of them plus Melfina are there and they're kind of like weirdly fighting and interacting but you don't really know what's going on it's a very different kind of style of animation it almost looks like they scrimped on like having to have like a giant actual battle and just like have these weird like energy birds flying around and smashing into each other <laughs> right well there's that and then it's like then they're Gene is teleported back well, to the well, Okay, so before star. we get to that point, so there's a lot oh. that kind of goes on with okay. the sort of like energy level. Like I think I think at this point Melfina talks to Gene, right? Because as these energy birds are flying around in space, like one's screaming like, I'm Gene, another one's like, I'm a Zonko, another one's like, I'm Professor Khan, whatever. And and then Melfina comes in yeah. and then she actually talks to Gene and he kind of has these is this where he has his visions? Because it's sort of like a near-death experience. Yeah, where he's like yeah. sitting on a green hill. Yeah, with so the like first crew. he sees flashbacks from his life, from the time with his dad. Where he's like, yeah, and dad! his dad like sent him away like Superman yeah. in a in a space capsule to survive. He goes back to when he first met uh, Jim, when he interacted with Hilda, when he first met Melfina. So he has kind of this near-death experience, and you're not quite sure if he's actually dead or still kind of hanging on. And then, yeah, he's on this green pasture surrounded by his crew, and they're just like watching Melfina dance. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> like, like they, they always do. Just, just well, he really just wanted awkward. to hear Melfina's song like, like Harry asked him to do, even though I don't know if she ever actually sang. Um, well, you know, so I think it's like... earlier in the show. Yeah. I think it's like the beginning of episode 25 starts with the singing. Yeah, that's right. It opens um, song. Yeah. And, and and so you you really are just kind of like when they when when the McDougal brings it up and is just like get the song for me I'm just like I've already like, heard it. Also, yeah, uh, like, skip love, this track. You know, seriously, Melfina, you are never getting the aux chord again. <laughs> well, you are. We're done with open done. mic. Well, yeah, this especially Mel yeah. Melfina. Maybe he's trying to stick to community. Ow, okay. <laughs> stick to shower singing. But anyway, so at this yeah. point, like Melfina talks to Gene, like face to face. And she's like, hey, guess what? It's time for exposition. And then she basically lays out like, <laughs> what the ley line is, it's right? True. So it's essentially just like a giant computer or a machine god, as we humans might call it. That's like a repository of all right. information, but can also grant whatever your heart's desire is because it controls sort of like almost like reality. Like it, it can pull on the lines of reality and kind of grant you whatever you want, right? Yeah. Right. I, I mean, that's, that's the best I can do because honestly, it's kind of batshit. It, it, it it allows them to um, manipulate yeah. fate, and then and then by that kind of manipulate reality. So like Gene, Gene originally right. wanted just like unlimited wealth and treasure because, as Charlie mentioned earlier, these guys are always struggling with bills. They never have enough money. They always have to kind of like take odd jobs or run from people who are like demanding their payment. So they just wanted money. They wanted a great payday. They'd never have to worry about it again. They could retire. Um, Professor Kwan comes in and what does he want charlie uh he just wants all yeah. knowledge so he like in this sequence you see him come out in a much more like tron-esque outfit where it's just his head and he's 
transition to this like white and black outfit and he's just like i got everything i needed to know later yeah, he literally like, <laughs> like so gets what funny. he wanted and just pieces out it's the weirdest thing that he sort of wins i guess we're to believe that his essence has just become a part of the universe or something like a galactus i guess he's just like floating thing. energy or maybe he became a part of the ley line i have no clue what happened with that dude but even gene at yeah, this that's point kind of what like, i had like, yeah i guess that weird. makes more yeah. sense so but then we have Azanko, uh we have Zanko. He's, the, he's the ganon of this triforce essentially yeah. he definitely is so he wants uh he wants power ultimate power enough that other beings are going to have to to bow right. down to him and and it's uh he, he's just he's he's an unrelenting force of evil and chaos and he just wants that to be bigger than what so it is right he's now ganon, yeah if you're following along at home yeah 100 yeah, percent, guys exactly this week's episode brought to you by nintendo switch and breath of the wild now available <laughs> go find DLC it this yeah. summer featuring hard mode <laughs> the whole game is hard mode let me tell you um but um yeah well i mean and i think throughout the whole show so what's interesting if you just watched 24 yeah. 25 26 you'd be like oh gene and hazanko have never met but hazanko is established kind of as this yeah. big bad throughout and gene ends up meeting and dispatching his lieutenants the Anten seven who the remaining members are these characters that are supporting characters right. square off against um but um yeah so hazanko wants ultimate power and then their final battle hazanko is transformed into this gross sinewy like cloud yeah monster. so he he like merges with his ship the geomancer and because of the power and everyone else is just like Bleh! yeah it's like real gross they all <laughs> they kind of become... melt together it's a real gross looking thing <laughs> yeah. and he, because he's yeah. been granted ultimate power has now like taken on this like massive monstrous form that is the the face of the ship and he is the ship but he's also inside the ship controlling it at the same time and this is when, Charlie, like you said, uh, the energy birds <laughs> of Melfina and Jean, <laughs> <laughs> they fly back to the outlaw star because there's no quick way in the writer's room that they could get them to the ship uh, without being energy birds. <laughs> so right. they exactly. sit back there. Now, is this, have Jean and Melfina talked about Jean's wish at this point? Yeah, okay, cool. well, that's important. he says, yeah. you know, I just want to, yeah, Jean's wish is just to be with her. You know, I think, Throughout, they kind of dance around this notion, which is a common story trope in things like, oh, are you just in it for the money? Or you, do you like me? But I think this is even more powerful because it's like, well, do you care about me? Do I have a personality? Do I matter? Versus am I, am I actually a tool like right. Hazanko and others kind of uh, put out there? And he, you know, Gene decides to be with her. Um, and, you know, it makes for a powerful yeah, moment. It was really nice because he, he basically gave up like unlimited treasure and wealth. Whoa. Sean's Sean, going to okay, take a knee for a minute. So, it was so, so sweet. <laughs> but then they had that sweet moment and then they're like, all right, we got to go energy birds and we got to fly back to the outlaw star and we got to have this fight. They're like, I love you, baby, but you ready to murder? Yeah. <laughs> just like, yo, we got this. We're connected to the ley line. Like, Remember, you bleep. got everybody here. You can like open your mind and just like fully fight this this creepy dude. It's gonna be great. Yeah, that part is yeah. really cool. So what we're you're, the audience is seeing is both the reality of the outlaw star flying against this Hazanko creature, and then also them in this Tron yeah. world duking it out. Right. And then Hazanko sinks his disgusting <laughs> tentacles, tentacles, his, tentacles his tentacle porn. Like, and we him. should mention too that like the outlaw star is like dwarfed. 
by Hazanko at this point. Like it's, yeah, it's it like is, a fingernail. Yeah, Hazanko's gone like full uh, Kira. Uh, yeah, at he's this just point. gone. Yeah, exactly. Crazy. And we've got Kaneda back on his light cycle over here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, but then Jean learns to embrace the power of friendship, and then the outlaw star gets decked out in much yeah. harder edges. Effectively. Didn't it turn um, itself essentially like into? First of all, it, it like grappled with the Geomancer Hazanko merge creature on like sort of the same level. So it had kind of like a cool wrestling moment. But then that ended yeah, up being like yeah. a, like a diversion or a weird hallucination. Yeah, it was like suck it. We're, We're actually, actually behind you, flying <laughs> yeah. at light speed. And then it acts as just like a bullet that just goes like like straight through his forehead. Like they took the shell yeah, right. and turned it into a bullet that just shot him through the forehead. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, like, if you think about it, though, like, you bring up the greatest point, though, Dave, like, you know, the the one thing that's been important in this the entire time has been Gene, his caster, and these yeah. magic shells that they've had for this gun, and, like, the final bullet was, you know, the yeah. XGP. It was the ship, and it was everybody in the crew connected to the ley line. It was everybody end. inside it. Yeah. They were the magic inside the bullet. Damn. Damn. Poignant. Yeah, it's pretty sweet, because it just... Right through that dude's head, and then there's like a massive, like world-rending explosion that takes place, and everybody's chill. <laughs> right. Everybody's chill. Yeah. Done. And then Gene gets a haircut. And then Gene. And then years <laughs> later, Gene gets a haircut. There's a weird, <laughs> like it, it cuts. It says like to be continued, and you're like, wait, the fuck? And then it cuts to like, so Gene's back on like Sentinel Three, because it, it seems like they're like done, but not done. Like there's gonna be another episode. No, it's just a couple of like end scenes to this episode. So we see. Where they have to go back to Hayfong yeah. and pay off their Except Gene ends up in jail right. <laughs> like briefly until Jim bails them out. They're back on Sentinel-3. They meet up with the crew, and it seems like the crew's going to go their separate ways. So we're like, okay, cool. It's the end of this story. Gene uh, is still with Melfina. She's paying her respects to everyone who died in the name of the ley line at, the, at a local graveyard. But those two are together, which is kind of sweet. And then you get a fake, you know, sort of like Hobbit ending number two, where... Like Outlaw Star, they blast off. So it's Gene and Jim and Melfina and uh, Gilliam. And they all blast off. And they're like, Outlaw Star blasts off. And you're like, okay, cool. Well, then it cuts back again. And what, what's going on now? What do we have them going through now? They're like in the middle of space. They're just like, I can't believe this fucking ship broke down again. We're just like, we're in the middle of nowhere. And they have to like, oh, they literally yeah, have to call right. like AAA <laughs> of space. It's like a, a repair ship comes and charges them. So they're once again, like in debt to everyone. <laughs> so nothing has changed for these guys. But the cool God. thing is, the final thing, when they go back to the, uh, the cockpit, they see Suzuka and Aisha back on the crew. And they both have their excuses like, well, I've seen a lot of the world, but I haven't seen it with you guys. And you seem pretty interesting. And the other one's like, well, you still owe me a shitload of money. So until you pay up, I'm going to hang out here. And then they go <laughs> off and watch again. And there's this weird narration at the end where the narrator's like, Gene Starwind, captain of the outlaw star. And he goes through and like announces everybody. But then he says like... He's known as an outlaw and a pirate, and uh, he has a bounty on his head, but his, his story will be measured by what he does next, and that's how it kind of fades out. And it's so huh. bittersweet because yeah. there is no next, except for that crappy OVA, right? Yeah, well, and Angel Links <laughs> doesn't even relate to that at all. Because um, there's, the, and the way it's set up is in one of the, like, I think it's maybe episode 16 or 17, they have this like run in with the security forces. Um, and that's supposed to sort of set up the spinoff. But um, the end narration is sort of a bookend to probably the first uh, 12 episodes have this 
opening narration where you know it's it's a big meditation on all kinds of stuff like being a son or being your own man or all these sorts of things um so it's a really nice way yeah i thought this was a good way to end the series it was just unfortunate we didn't get like a, a second season but um yeah, no. so speaking of, so more. that's that's going to be it for a discussion tonight. I want you guys to kind of think about whether or not you want to make recommendations. But in the meantime, we're going to go to a second opinion from someone out there on IMDb. But we're going to do Love It or Hate It. So here, uh, here yeah. is Oh, uh, yeah. I got Dave, you got, Dave, you got so this first one? Here we go. From 2013, so relatively recent, from John Eric de Dios Carlos from the Philippines. He uh, gives it a 10 out of 10 and titles his review, After watching the series, it will have you waiting for more, wanting for more, smiley face. The story was about an outlaw on his way to a place where a precious treasure was hidden, the galactic ley line. If we are to compare this series to One Piece, there are many similarities, like the concept of being a pirate outlaw, having a ship given to them, and going on a journey, a journey for powerful treasure. For One Piece, the equivalent of the Galactic Ley Line is the Grand Line. This is a throwback to last week's episode on One Piece, by the way. However, despite these similarities, there are also overt differences, and those are the reasons why I say the Outlaw Star is better than One Piece. Shots Although fired. it did not become shots fired <laughs> off the port bow. <laughs> Although it did not become as popular as the latter. The way Gene Starwind, the protagonist of Outlaw Star, carry on the voyage to GL was even more matured and not childish as the way Luffy was. Ooh. This makes the anime Outlaw Star more interesting and more realistic. Yes, very realistic. Yeah, so, yes, so, realistic. so realistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I'm giving it an excellent rating because once you've finished watching the series, it will leave you wanting badly for more. Smiley faith. So there we go. Loved it. And, and to be fair, before Sean gets to our other review tonight, there were no hated it on IMDb. Usually we have somebody somewhere who really hates everything for whatever reason and gives it like a one out of 10 stars. There were no hated it ratings for Outlaw Star. So this next one is the best we've got. Right. So this is, uh, this is from Gregory J. Ransom Yikes. Uh, from Waco, Texas in 2001. It says, this Outlaw Star doesn't shine very bright. <laughs> this series in English is tolerable in many respects, but overall, I'd have to say that it all depends on the viewer. If you like boring action mixed with humor that at many times seems drab and less than humorous and a bit of a romance, no true gripes here, then this is the show for you. <laughs> that was all one sentence. All one <laughs> sentence, guys. Uh, personally, I'm glad I watched it. But I would not wish to watch it again for quite some time. And Melfina is a real cutie. He wants uh, one of those Brazzers. Yo, once yeah, there. right. Gwen Khan's got to stop writing. Yeah, he's like, and Melfina's a real cutie. Or the McDougal brothers got to stop cutie. writing <laughs> reviews yeah, and putting exactly. them on IMDb. I needed more Harry and Ron. Yeah, right. <laughs> but Melfina, the real cutie. Oh, man. This takes me back to the day when we used to do Rule 34 and tell you whether or not to look it up. Oh, God, I can imagine this is chock full of it. That's frightening. Oh, it's got to be just packed. There's just got to be whole quadrants of the internet just packed full of this stuff. Yikes. So on that note, let's get into recommendations. So, Charlie, I don't know if you remember or not, but you can either recommend this show, uh, recommend against this show, so otherwise not recommend it, as normal people would say, and if you don't recommend it, you can also give it the dip, which means you erase it from all existence forever. Yikes. So what say you? Uh, def recommend it. I mean, I think, 
I think, you know, I've sort of shown my true colors throughout this entire episode. <laughs> um, now, I, I love the show. I'm an unabashed um, fan of it. And I think it's really worthwhile and enjoyable to watch um, and has a lot of the hallmarks of good storytelling, uh, you know, that modern TV shows also have by way of, you know, foreshadowing character development, kind of like you were touching on, Sean. Almost all the characters having a kind of a journey of who am I, uh, as opposed to a single-minded focus on the narrator and protagonist. Yeah. So Sean, what about you? Uh, do you recommend it? And if not, does it get the dip? I definitely recommend this show. And it was, uh, it was a joy to get back into it and kind of go through some of these episodes and, and relive Gene Starwin and this entire crew. So definitely recommend this. Guys, you should really check this out. Yeah, I'm going to say the same. So it's three recommendations from us here at SMC, just because this is like, it's one that you might have snuck by you when you were watching Toonami in the early 2000s. But it's definitely one that, you des- you know, it deserves a watch, deserves a revisit. And it's, it's got such a cool mythology and such cool characters that it's definitely worth watching again. So yeah, go check it out, Outlaw Star. Pick it up on DVD at a retailer near you. And it's coming out soon on Blu-ray. Yeah, so I was actually looking on the Outlaw Star Reddit the other day, wow. <laughs> which is, if you want to read some great Outlaw Star fan fiction, Head on over. Um, <laughs> it's a pretty sparse Reddit page, actually, but one of the written by Charlie. <laughs> um, yeah, you'll know me by my avatar, Gene Fan Thirteen. Um, but um, one of the posts that I saw was that they are coming out on Blu-ray in June, which I will. In the packaging is shaped like one of the booster rockets on the XGP. Nice. So it's red That's with that cool. gold trim. Nice. Um, That's pretty cool. And uh, my wife will not understand why I had spent $75 on that, but too bad. <laughs> Ladies. Yeah. Am I right? You are right. Ladies. Katarl, Katarl. Anyway, so Charlie, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us for this uh, special edition. Yes. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Anime April covering Outlaw Star. What about, the, uh, what about you? What are you up to? Where can the folks out there in media land find you if you are so inclined? Yeah, uh, still painting up a storm. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at C-A Visconage. That's C-A-V-I-S-C-O-N-A-G-E. Or on Twitter at Sweaty in the City, um, which I, may, I made in, <laughs> before thinking I would ever give it out uh, as an adult man. But <laughs> stuck with it. I've had some like very silly followers lately like comedian ben bailey followed me recently really of cash cab yeah you know yeah, he's yeah. been doing that for a lot of people it's oh. because uh when he cash cab's coming cash back. cab's coming back but not with him yep. trying to get you in yeah. cash trying to get you in that cash cab i would do that i actually yeah. trying to get you in his own cab that is not affiliated <laughs> he's, with he's cash like cab. dog i am hard up for cash right now can i, can I take <laughs> it's anywhere the, can i borrow cash cab <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's like i actually need you cash. <laughs> Uh, and uh, if we could just you give me a little gas too, though. Yeah, right. Can you just give my car a push? Um, well, that that's funny. So I don't feel as special, which is fine. But I get followed by like I'm not kidding. I have to forward them to you guys. Like people who have, you know, maybe in the tens of thousands of followers, but who are like number one tech mogul. And I want to be like, cool. Are you guys trying to buy a painting? <laughs> you can yeah, them afford yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that, nice. that's me. Nice. I get followed by a lot of people who just like really want me to click on this one particular link to see like fun ladies. And this um, one weird trick. Yeah, they've got a lot of tricks. <laughs> I don't I, I haven't clicked on enough of them yet to find out all the tricks, but I'm I'm trying. 
But Sean, what about you, buddy? What are you up to in the next couple Gaz of weeks? Guys, as always, I'm performing live improv comedy in D.C. with a group called Knox. That's N-O-X exclamation point. You can find us witdc.org for tickets and times. And as always, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Paul Ellis. And you can find me on Twitter at DrClawMD. You can also find me on Collider.com, Nerdist.com, and DaveTrumbor.com. As for the show itself, you can find us on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Saturday Morning Cartoons. Remember, that's morning with a U. You can also find us on our own website, SaturdayMorningCartoons.com. Check us out on Twitter, at MorningTunes. Take a look at Sean's handiwork on our Instagram page. Keep the conversation going on Facebook and listen to our free audio podcast each and every week through YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can also send us suggestions and let us know how we're doing. SaturdayMorningCartoons at gmail.com. Guess what? We got more anime April coming up oh, next man. week. Oh, man. It'll be good times. I've, I literally have no clue what we're watching because I can't think that far ahead. I'm sure it's going to be great. Question mark? Uh, we'll shoot a caster shell at it and see what comes out. So. <laughs> okay, we'll shoot a number nine. Ooh, number nine. Did you have a favorite caster shell? I honestly, there was like no difference between what, like nine and 13. Okay. Well, I like the one that was just a giant gust of wind that threw Ron <laughs> off of the precipice. Yeah, off where planet. he was like, was fuck, but then was totally fine at the end. Jeez. Yeah, he just, I think it just like sent him to his and ship. Very gen- like, and it, it gently like, put him down like in the yes. cockpit. <laughs> there, I definitely need to go back and look at those casters because some of them made zero sense. I think they just like ran out of ideas. I managed to find a link that has a list of all the caster shells uh, that were out there. I'll send it over to you. It's it's a it's a fun read. That's a good a fun list. read. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. Well, while we look for more caster shells, we're gonna say thank you guys for listening to this episode of Saturday Morning Cartoons, and we will see you next Paddle time. Paddle with sunfall. 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 Gene Starwind, I found you at last. Hey everybody. Thanks a lot for listening to Saturday Morning Cartoons. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to transform and roll out. <laughs>